G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. It's about 10 years since former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd declared climate change is the great moral challenge of our generation. Well, today we're turning our attention to that great moral challenge, hoping to identify a biblical foundation for Christians to take confidence in as pressure continues to mount. No matter what position you take on the issue, there will always be some form of counter-argument and endless tangents. But today we're drawing attention to the collective insights of scientists around the world who hold to a view of the world acknowledging God as creator and sustainer of our planet. So it's a biblical and scientific approach to climate change. In a nutshell, the Bible teaches the universe and the earth were created by God. The earth was created for mankind, and humanity is called to be a steward of God's creation. It may be that your view of climate change will be anchored in the world view that you hold about whether you think God created or the alternative Marxist atheist view that he did not create. So get ready for what may be an enlightening conversation for some and for others a confronting conversation about the creation and climate change. Our special guest is Dr. Don Batten. Don leads Creation Ministries International. He's been researching the collective insights, not only from scientists, but philosophers and political thought in light of a biblical view. Don Batten, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Great to be with you. Don, let's start. Uh, First of all, uh, the idea that without faith in God as creator, All we're left with is a fearful future. I wonder whether you've got any thoughts here as we slide into this conversation, which obviously can go anywhere, and very shortly we'll open our talkback lines, but there's a certain fear that people have about climate change, and uh, I wonder if you've got some thoughts here. Well, yes. um, If if God doesn't exist, and when you die you become fertilizer, I mean, uh, there's, there's no real hope. And then people become uh, depressed and concerned and worried and fretful. And, uh, of course, uh, when we're confident that we're in God, God God looks after us. He created us with a purpose for eternity. Uh, There's a a lot less to worry about. And uh, not that we don't worry, but uh, we shouldn't worry because, uh, you know, we should have faith in God and trust in God. That doesn't mean we don't look after the planet and don't, you know, because he's called us to do that. He said we're to look after the planet. And you mentioned that. Uh, the dominion mandate is called in Genesis where we're to, to look after the earth. And, uh, and of course, as, as people who believe in creation, uh, God created things, animals and plants and everything. Uh, we, we respect these things because God made them. Uh, and we don't wantonly destroy them. Okay, let me just touch on some things. I suspect there's a brain or two rattling 
And as soon as people will be thinking, oh, we're having a creation perspective on climate science, some people are going to be thinking that somehow or other the creationists who are scientists are somehow or other less scientists than all the other learned ones in universities everywhere. What are your thoughts here? Because you have actually gleaned uh, from a very wide network of Christian people who are scientists, who are leaders in their fields. Give us your thoughts here on the value of the Christian who is a scientist. Well, it's interesting. Modern science actually grew out of Christianity. The, the, the very assumptions behind doing science are actually Christian assumptions. They're, they come from, from uh, Christian thinking. And uh, one of the uh, historians of science said that, in fact, the Reformation was actually a major reason for the development of the modern scientific method. And the reason is that the reformers recognised that our thinking is fallen, our thinking is corrupted because of sin, because of the fall in Adam, and because our thinking is corrupted, we need to test our thoughts. Now, the Greeks thought you could have pure thought, uh, but the Christians... Uh, at the Reformation said, no, our, th- our thinking is corrupted. We need to test our thinking. And then the scientific method came into being to test the thoughts. So you can have an idea about something, a hypothesis or a something, but you have to test it with experiments. And so this whole idea of scientific method came out of Christianity. Okay, and Christianity acknowledges that there is a God. He is the creator now. Let's bring into the modern controversies today the politicization of climate science. And you believe that this politicization is simply corrupting science. It corrupts science. Wherever, it, wherever, wherever politics comes in, it corrupts the science. And, and we, we've been dealing with the creation-evolution thing for, for decades. And when you end up with politics and uh, philosophy... Uh, atheism wrapped up with it, uh, it corrupts the science. And you see, see the same thing with climate science. Politics gets involved and it corrupts the science. So we've got God as the creator, and uh, we're going to talk about where Christians think and what shapes the way we think about climate science today. There's a very special and significant event that we've talked about many a time, Don, over the years, which becomes something of a, a pillar that we can attach our understanding to. And this is the flood yes. of Genesis. Now, yeah. just how significant is this? Because I know when uh, we talk about Noah and the flood, uh, a lot, lot of people think about a children's story, but way this is not a uh, this is not a children's story. This actually now gives us a a pillar by which we can now navigate a way forward, understanding climate change. Indeed so. And uh, the people who refuse to believe there was a flood uh, have a problem because they because you get ice age, uh, an ice age, things get very cold, and then it comes out of the ice age. Well, that means that uh, there must be instability in the climate, and this is where all this comes from. But if we recognise as the flood, the, the biblical flood explains an ice age after the flood, um, and, and because it perturbed the whole earth and because the, uh, the flood would have left the oceans because of the mechanisms going on with volcanic activity and so on, would have left the oceans warm, would have left volcanic ash in the atmosphere, gives exactly the conditions to get an ice age. But if you don't believe in the flood, you have a problem because you have to have instability in the climate. And so they build in instability into their models. And that's where all the, all the 
panic comes from with the current thinking about climate change. Well, we've had many a conversation about the evidence for the flood with you and with various of your colleagues and uh, creationists uh, over many years. And there'll be plenty of conversations that listeners can look back to uh, by way of some podcast material. But when we talk about this flood, Don secularists, the people who don't believe in God, are the ones who are deliberately overlooking the flood. We know the evidence is there mm. for the flood, mm. but it's being deliberately overlooked. Yes, indeed. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, In the latter days, in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires and saying, Where is the coming? Where is this coming of Jesus? Because Jesus is not coming again, they're saying. And in saying this, they deliberately overlook or they are willfully ignorant of two things, that God created everything and the earth was covered in water at the beginning. And secondly, by those waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. So there's two things that these scoffers say. God didn't create and there was no flood. Okay. And while we're laying a foundation here, we're going to get into some science aspects, but these are important things. Uh, one of the things I mentioned in the introduction, uh, you know, God creates the heavens and the earth, yeah. uh, and God creates the earth for humanity. Yeah. If you don't believe that God created, then you don't believe that the earth is created for humanity. In fact, you draw attention to a quote from the very famous David Attenborough, uh, who almost refers to a hatred of the earth uh, with the arrival of mankind. Now, uh, people love David Attenborough uh, because of the wonderful uh, documentary series we see on TV, but there's something very sinister in the idea that if you think of humanity as a plague, uh, a plague on a the earth, plague on the earth. Yes. Uh, give us your insights here into if you if you ignore God, you're actually entering some very dark places. In, indeed, and a lot of the uh, extreme environmental movement is very anti-human, uh, very anti-human, um, and uh, and this comes out. Uh, and of course, the people who are so anti-human. I would like to see the earth rid of human beings. So, they're, they're, See, their mentality is, well, the earth's been here for hundreds of millions of years. That's a myth too. But And people didn't appear until very recently. And the earth was quite happy without people for hundreds of millions of years. So therefore, it would be happy again if we, didn't have, if we weren't here. Because they're not putting up the hand of volunteer uh, to disappear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but this anti-human atti- attitude is very unbiblical. Uh, and the thing is, too, that uh, after the flood, God, God gave a promise. And he said uh, in, in Genesis 8, verse 22, while the earth remains, seed, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. In other words, the earth is built for stability. It's built to be stable for uh, a place for us to live. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Wonderful to have you along with us on this Wednesday edition of 2020. Our special guest is Dr. Don Batten from Creation Ministries. Don, we're talking climate change. Uh, Just quickly, Christians don't deny that there is climate change. Yeah. Uh, the the idea that there is a warming, uh, in actual fact, uh, I think you've identified in your own research, there's been warming and cooling over thousands of years. Oh, yes, there's been, uh, in fact, the medieval warm period is called, around about 1000 AD, 1000 years ago, uh, there's actually warmer than it is now, uh, but um, it certainly wasn't caused by CO2. Uh, so CO2 is a greenhouse gas. It does warm the earth, uh, but the question is, Will the amount we're producing 
uh, cause catastrophic warming? That's really the question. Uh, let me just jump in here for a moment because uh, listeners are going to say, who is this Dr. Don Batten? Uh, is he a climate scientist? Uh, is he got, uh, credible uh, talking about these things? Well, uh, just to clarify here, Don, you're a plant scientist. Mm. Uh, CO2 is plant food. This is your area of expertise. Uh, take us into what's happening here. The idea that we're hearing that we have to limit uh, the human-generated CO2 so we can cool the planet. Give us your impression here about what's happening so far as CO2 goes. The amount of CO2 we had before the Industrial Revolution is about 295 parts per million. At, at 150 parts per million, plants actually start to die. So there's actually not enough CO2 for them to live. So CO2 is plant food. So the thing is that the, the additional CO2 that we have added is actually contributing 30% of the world's food production at present. And, the, and that's not just for humans. This is for animals as well. So 30% of the biomass in the, currently in the world is due to the extra CO2. Um, so it's feeding the earth. It's flourish, the earth is flourishing. And in fact, deserts are greening because of the extra CO2. Because when you've got extra CO2, they need less water. Now, I've, I've researched this. I've researched CO2, the uh, response of plants to CO2. I've modelled the growth of plants in response to the environment. Uh, part of our training was in uh, agroclimatology. Uh, in a, um, while I'm not a climate scientist... It's certainly been f a, f a central factor in my research career is climate and the weather and responses of plants to it and that sort of thing. And, of course, my experience in modelling helps me to understand how climate models work and why they're so inaccurate. You are a PhD scientist. Let's talk coal here, and maybe we're touching on a whole lot of things that some listeners might want to take a little deeper when we open our talkback lines after the news, but coal and vegetation are linked. Uh, give us your impressions here about coal. Well, coal, of course, is buried vegetation, which is changed by the, uh, the uh, processes operating within the earth with the heat and pressure, changes vegetation into coal. Uh, so that's where our coals come from. So all that coal was once vegetation growing on the earth, <laughs> okay, buried when? During Noah's flood. So before the flood, it meant that all the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere um, was, was growing all those plants. And, and you can see that the carbon dioxide level in the atmosphere before the flood was up to 15 times what it is now. And the earth was not cooked. And just to touch on this very generally, but the idea that we've got buried vegetation, isn't that in itself evidence for the flood that we read about in Genesis? Absolutely. All around the world you see uh, buried vegetation, fossils of animals and things, huge animals that must have been buried in masses of mud like we just never see today. And so if we're digging up that coal and burning it, and this is where all the controversy is, yeah. and, uh, you know, why are we shutting down our coal mining situations when, uh, uh, and uh, with the idea of, uh, of limiting our own uh, CO2 emissions, uh, there is a certain sense here in which uh, the coal in the ground, uh, it has already been at one point, uh, you know, above ground. Mm. Uh, now it's underground. Uh, what's the difference in the way that CO2 is generated when it's underground or above ground? Well, what, because of the burial of all that carbon in the ground in coal, um, after the flood when the vegetation regrew on the earth, it sucked down the CO2 level. So the CO2 level actually dropped after the flood, and we ended up in a situation where it was barely adequate to feed the earth. 
And so the added CO2 now is actually helping feed the earth and not just people, but animals. Uh, so if someone says to me they want to see the CO2 level go to, to pre-industrial levels, I say, well, what 30% of the animals would you like to die? Uh, I say, well, hang on, what are you talking about? Well, I said 30% of the food is being produced by the extra CO2. So if you want to reduce the CO2, re- you reduce the food availability for animals. I know you don't care about people, but, I mean, you care about the animals. Surely you don't want to see 30% of the animals die. You say that secular geologists agree that ancient CO2 levels were much higher, even 15 times more. Yes. But as you demonstrate, just in a simple explanation, if you don't have the higher CO2 levels, you can't have the amount of vegetation to feed the current population on the planet. Exactly. It will reduce the, veget- reduce the food availability for people and animals if you reduce the CO2. And adding more CO2 actually improves the food availability. Sometimes we hear from climate scientists and oftentimes uh, people who are quite alarmist about the changing times that the science is settled. Uh Uh, You're pointing out some important factors in that, in that uh, if the science was settled, people would be agreeing on a model. But there are lots and lots of models that scientists have uh, around what's happening today. There's over 100 models. And you say, well, if the science is settled, there'd be one model. You know, like E E equals MC squared. Everybody's heard that, right? What's that? That the the energy in matter, multiply the mass times the square of the speed of light, you get the amount of energy that's equivalent to that matter. So everybody, there's no 100 different formulas because it's settled science, right? Settled science, you don't have 100 different models. And because there are a hundred models, we have people who are sceptics because if there isn't an agreement among the science community, there are going to be sceptics. Your thoughts on sceptics? Well, I'm a sceptic. <laughs> okay, yes. I, I'm, I'm a sceptic of, of the fear-mongering and the, and the climate emergency stuff and what Kevin Rudd said about you know, the great moral dilemma of our day and so on. There are far more important things. And, uh, you know, the plastics um, pollution of the oceans, for example, uh, there are many environmental issues that need addressing. And this is they're being eclipsed by this. This has taken centre stage and then we're neglecting more important things. Okay, what sceptics are concerned about uh, is the idea that uh, mass extinctions uh, of increasing droughts, decreased food production, uh, the increased frequency and intensity of cyclones and hurricanes and typhoons, the increasing number of the intensity of tornadoes, uh, decreasing snowfalls. Uh, Not so much the sceptics concerned about that, but but when those things are predicted and they don't come to pass, that fuels scepticism. So the reason why we have scepticism is because People have seen the predictions and they haven't come to pass. They haven't come to pass, exactly. And uh, and all those things you mentioned, when you look at the actual data, there's no increase in bushfires, there's no increase in droughts, there's no increase in tornado intensity, there's no increase in cyclone intensity, all these things. There's no evidence of any, any serious change at all. And, you know, when we had those bushfires back in um, uh, 18 months ago, uh, in Australia, they're all unprecedented, unprecedented because of climate change. Rubbish. There are t- times in the past we've had much bigger areas burnt in Australia uh, in the past and many more people died in previous bushfires. 
So whatever measure you use, these bushfires were not unprecedented. And what's more, they were not due to climate change. They were due to human negligence in terms of controlling the undergrowth, the, 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 the fire load, the fuel load in the forests. So they shut up the forests to stop people going in and, and, and doing the burning during the winter. And then, of course, you build up all the fuel. And then when there's a fire, there's a conflagration and all the koalas and all the animals die because of the severity of the fire. But it's not due to climate change. It's due to, due to ill-advised green approach to locking up things and excluding people and not managing them. And when you have a rising population, uh, you have the opportunity for increased politicisation of the issue, uh, politicisation of the hundred models that are available and the pursuit then of how do we get a controlling power base? It's Politics is about power, isn't it? And if you can scare the people, then you can uh, bring in all sorts of draconian policies and things, which, of course, uh, increases the power of the politicians. Uh, less than a minute out from news, uh, the Bible position is that we ought not to be afraid of the idea of climate change. Is this one of the things that uh, I think we'll be probably communicating in this, in this yeah, segment? We, we shouldn't be afraid of anything, really. Uh, God is in control. But as I said, that doesn't mean we wantonly uh, treat our planet with uh, disrespect. We need to be looking after the environment, but it needs to be done uh, sensibly. Don, I think it's wise for us to uh, start taking some listener calls and we'll see how many we can get in. 1-800-316-316. Let's first of all hear from Anne. Hello, Anne. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Very well, Um, Anne. Thank you um, very much. Listen, um, I think... What you're saying is that the things that are happening in the world as what God predicted would happen eventually, you know, more floods and, and fires and stuff like that because um, he predicted that would happen. The one answer I want to ask you, one of the islands is getting more flooded and more water in it. In, in it. What is the cause of that? Uh, which island are you referring to, Anne? Uh, one of the islands I can't think of was they did a documentary on it and they showed us on this island, particular island up in the Caribbean. I don't know. It's an island somewhere. And they had showed us where the flood had come, where the water from the, from the sea had come in and taken some of the things and how it was still coming in. Okay. Well, um, if, if you go to the article on creation.com and the article there on the climate change, just search for climate yeah. change, you'll find that actually... Yeah. The sea level data, which is the idea that the sea levels are rising and flooding the islands. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm, um, yeah. So um, the, uh, the survey of all the islands, not just one, uh, showed that mm. in fact they had gained land area yeah. in the last uh, decades. They haven't lost mm. their land area. So they might be able to find one island where it might be sinking. So the island is actually sinking. It's not actually the rise in sea level that's causing that, but it's oh, actually sinking. That what, that's the problem, yeah. Well, Tuvalu, I think we're talking about here. Yeah, t- t- Tuvalu, Tuvalu, is, a, Tuvalu is the poster child. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, in the, in yeah that's the, right, yes. But, but in fact, it's gained land area. And, uh, and overall, okay. all, the, all the islands like that have gained, overall, they've all gained area. So, um, okay. so the, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's not actually as I claim. And thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. So the takeaway from that, the creationist says here, Don, the islands are not 
being overwhelmed because of rising floodwaters. The likely uh, alternative is the truth, that there are islands that are sinking. Is that the takeaway from that? Uh, It's not the takeaway, no, but you can't just look at one island because it may be sinking, um, but you've got to look at all of them. And uh, and, uh, when you look at all of them and uh, you survey all of them, you find that overall they're actually gaining area. Okay, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from David in Murray Bridge in South Australia. Hi, David. Welcome. Thank you very much. Yes, um, I was just um, ringing to make a comment um, that uh, when the earth was um, destroyed by water, God promised us with the rainbow to remind us that he will not destroy the earth by water. I agree that we, as Christians, we still need to look after the planet. However, I believe that uh, Scripture teaches that it will be destroyed by fire and we need heat to have fire. So the environmental, the people that are fighting the ozone layer are wasting our money. Okay, good thoughts there, David. Uh, Your thoughts here for David, Don? Um. Yeah, of course, God promised he wouldn't flood the earth again. That's true. And um, there's stuff in the article there about the melting of the ice and things like that. And uh, uh, one big glacier in um, Antarctica they're panicking about. Uh, but the rate of melting, it would take uh, 200,000 years to melt it. <laughs> so there's there's no emergency. This is the point. Um and uh, there, there will be rising sea level if, there, if the ice melts, that's true. Um, but it's been warmer in the past and, and so on. So there's quite a lot of stuff in the article about rising sea levels and what that, uh, where they are rising and uh, what that will mean. Uh, David, does that answer your question? Um, not actually, because uh, um, the, the, the scripture, I believe, teaches us that uh, this planet will be destroyed by fire. Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, yes, 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 absolutely. It's going to be destroyed by fire. There'll be judgment in the future. It'll be destroyed by fire and a new heavens and new earth. Yep. And I think when we're talking here, some people like to put a bit of a timeline to that, uh, the idea of a millennial reign of Christ. uh, At the end of that, uh, the new heavens, new earth idea, uh, that's the sort of timing, I think, if you take a, a biblical timeline view. Not everybody holds to uh, those sorts of timelines, but that idea that there will be ultimately a new heavens and a new earth, uh, the old earth will be done away with in that sense, and there'll mm. be a new earth, and that is uh, part of what is part of the hope, I think, of the future, the eternal destiny for Christians. David, mm. is that along the lines of what you're talking about here? Uh, it, yes, it, it's um, it's um, yeah, it uh, it's just that um, um, the, the our money is being wasted because they are trying to fight. They're trying to they're trying to fight the um, temperature rise, but we need heat to burn. So it's illogical that they should be throwing money into that area. That's my that's my second concern. Don? Well, uh, absolutely, and that's the thrust of our article is there's no climate emergency and so all the efforts they're making to try and stop it, are um, uh, it is a waste of money. And not only that, but it's a waste of money that could be spent on far better things uh, like helping people and uh, helping the poor, for example. Okay, Don from Murray Bridge, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on one 316 316 
You might have a thought, you might have a comment, a question for Dr. Don Batten. We're talking Christians and climate change, 1-800-316-316. Some people responding, Don, to our Facebook question today. As a Christian, do you think the alarmism around climate change is compatible with a Bible view of creation? Claudia says, I think that some climate change is logical, but I'll say some get a bit over-vocal at times only God has the plans. Uh, is there something hidden there, do you think, uh, in the biblical view? Or uh, what are your thoughts for Claudia? Yeah, I, I think Claudia's on the, on the ball there. there. There is some climate change. There is some warming, and, and, and some of it's due to CO2, but it's not a climate emergency. And the amount of warming that's likely will actually benefit the Earth, it actually isn't a problem. So uh, I agree with you. And, of course, God is in control, but uh, then again, God does call us to uh, look after the earth. So uh, the two are not incompatible. We're not supposed to sit back and say, oh, well, it's kind of all going to wrap up soon so we don't have to do anything. Um, God calls us to actually look after what he's created. Matt says, I believe it is incompatible. Climate change activism implies that humans are the direct physical reason for our world's weather pattern changes. Alarmism should draw attention to the intent from atheistic and agnostic politicians and scientists. Uh, any thoughts here? The political thrust, all is it all connected to this alarmism that comes from atheistic and agnostic views? Uh, well, in the article, I cite a, a couple of politicians, one so-called mainstream and one of the more extreme, the uh, Extinction Rebellion crowd, and both of which say that it's not about the, not about saving the Earth. It's not about saving the planet Earth. It's about political change, and it's actually using this to bring in... You might, some people might have heard of the Great Reset, you know, this so-called World Economic Forum. You know, there's a bunch of elitists that think that they can uh, actually uh, completely change the whole political system of the earth by uh, using climate change alarmism to get people to accept this. Is there a sense here, uh, sometimes people like to think of the idea of controlling the population of the world, uh, in other words, uh, letting some flourish and others diminish, uh, with the idea of control, with the thought that somehow or other the earth is not big enough and there's not enough plant life to be able to sustain a big population. Any thoughts here? Uh, well, it's not the case. Um, in fact, it's an article I wrote on our website, creation.com, which talks about the Earth's population. Are we overpopulated? And uh, and certainly people who live in the cities think we're overpopulated, but uh, you fly from Cairns to Melbourne and look out the window and see the huge amounts of forest uh, uh, covering the Great Dividing Range all the way, and you see uh, the cities are a tiny, tiny part of our country. And uh, and even a place like the UK, you know, you could you can actually fit the whole world's population in the UK, and I, I think I worked out it's about twenty square meters per person. So that's with the whole world in the UK, a little tiny country compared to Australia. So uh, are we overpopulated? No, there's huge parts of the world that have no people at all, um, and uh, and the extra CO two is helping feed everybody. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Louis in Cairns. Hello, Louis. Welcome along. How are you, brother? Good. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, my question is, uh, 
In the Bible, in the beginning, after God says he created the heavens and the earth, it says the earth was without form, void, and darkness on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered across the face of the water. When was that water created? Because he didn't say, let there be water. So could that be the reason why there is such craziness with carbon dating and, and things like that? And it could be that the water or whatever this was was billions of years old. So in other words, billions of years old stuff creating new things. Do you follow what I mean? Um, sort of. It's, a, it's an idea called the, the gap theory idea that there was some sort of break between the first verse and the second verse um, and there could have been this huge period of time. But if you look at a commentary on creation in Exodus chapter 20 when God gave the Ten Commandments, he said, I created the heavens, the earth, the seas and everything in them in six days and rested on the seventh. So there's no there's no extended time frame possible in Genesis chapter 1 when you take what God actually wrote on stone in Exodus chapter 20 verse 11. Uh, and also the Hebrew between verse 1 and verse 2 doesn't suggest any sort of a, a break. In fact, uh, verse 2 is like, here's more information about what's just been said. Uh, God created the heavens and the earth. Here's more detail about it. That's, that's how the structure of the Genesis goes. So... Uh, no, there's no, there's no gap there. There's no, uh, there, there's. If you're concerned about radiometric dating and so on, there's quite a lot of articles on the, on creation.com about that. And uh, carbon dating actually is a problem for the millions of years. So that's um, that's another story. Uh, is carbon dating connected to the water on the face of the Earth? I think that was part of Louis's question. Oh, not, there. not directly. I mean, but he's just say, suggesting maybe there was the the water was you know, very old, and that's the reason for old ages in the radiometric dating, but uh, that doesn't really follow from the scriptures. Um, but the carbon dating is a huge problem for it because uh, things that are supposed to be hundreds and millions of years old have carbon-14 in them, and if they were hundreds of millions of years old, they wouldn't have the carbon-14 because it would have decayed away because carbon-14 decays too quickly. Louis, I hope that answers your question. Is that uh, a fair answer? Thank you very much, gentlemen. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, it it's fantastic listening to your program, too, and keep up the good work. Thanks. Thank you, Louis. Thanks, Louis. Wonderful. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Let's take another call. Jonathan is on the line from Basselton in WA. Hello, Jonathan. Yeah, hi. Um, I just have a question. It's not so much of a comment. Um, but this one's a head-scratcher for me because I understand that, you know, we have a climate cult in this generation and maybe previous. Um, the question is, where in the Bible does it say anything about climate change? Um, and I know people bring up Genesis. I mean, that was in the beginning of God's creation. Um, but when Jesus walked the earth, I don't remember Jesus even mentioning anything to his prophets about climate change and, and the way that the hum humans were going to um, be led into this into this climate change um could you just refresh my memory into anything like that at all please uh, well because the bible doesn't mention something doesn't mean it doesn't exist or it's uh, rubbish or whatever uh, but you're, you're right i mean it's not a this is not a salvation issue it's not something if someone believes in climate change or they don't it's not something that's necessarily affecting their salvation their relationship with god um so you, you've hit something important there and uh, so if someone there's disagreeing with what I'm saying, that's fine. 
Um, just make sure you're right with Jesus. That's, that's the most important thing, not, with, <laughs> not, not, not what you think about climate change. But, but the thing is, though, that there's a lot of in the Bible which, which does impact climate. And, and, for example, Noah's flood. Noah's, you can't have Noah's flood, a global flood, without affecting the climate. Uh, and, and the weather that followed, the climate that followed the flood. Uh, you have allusions in the book of Job to the ice. Where did the ice come from? You know, it, Job is one of the oldest uh, books in the Bible, um, and it would have been in the ice age following the flood that uh, this was written, and so consequently the, con- the mention of the ice. Where did the ice come from and things like that. So, and um, given that Job would have been in the Middle East, yeah. which we're all thinking of as a very hot desert place, uh, the idea of ice in Job's time uh, ascribes to the idea of an ice age. Actually, there's a strong case that uh, that the land of Uz was actually Uzbekistan. Well... There's an interesting thought for you. <laughs> okay, not but, so much not so is, connected to the climate change idea, but yes, it is an interesting one. But there is climate change coming, which is mentioned in the Bible, because the Earth's going to be burnt up. There's okay. going to be serious heat in the future, uh, where there's where there's going to be burnt up and there's going to be new heavens and new earth. So that's that's extreme climate change. All right. Okay. One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Thank you so much to Jonathan in Basselton. Let's take another call. Cindy is in Victoria. Hi, Cindy. Welcome. Hello. Is there any dinosaurs being found under the polar ice cap? Like it hasn't completely melted yet. That's the most frozenest part of the Earth. And frozen embryos, can you get anything out of them when, when you do find them? Well, okay. Uh, Don, a little bit uh, off topic, but your thoughts? Um, so the frozen embryos, um, the problem is they haven't been snap frozen like in the deep, like uh, uh, like um, in liquid nitrogen or something like that. So they've been slowly frozen, so they're not viable. There's no way you can get them to you know resurrect a dinosaur via that means. Um, but dinosaur fossils have been found uh, in Antarctica, um, and uh, that's an interesting thing. Um, it was once the land in Antarctica was once actually uh, not frozen in the past. Wow. Okay. And uh, so, Cindy, you're touching on something pretty important here. So, if the land in Antarctica was not frozen in the past, is it likely then that in an ice age, ice formed in Antarctica? Is that what you're saying, Doc? Yeah, the ice formed after the flood. So the only reason why there would be such an ice uh, cap on uh, both Arctic and Antarctic is because of flood waters that covered the Earth. That's right. The flood actually provided the mechanism for the ice that developed after the flood, and we're looking at the tail end of that now. Well, that is a powerful thought, isn't it? I'd never had that thought before, that if there's ice at Antarctic and in the Arctic, that that's evidence for God's creation. Well, it's, it's, it's actually good evidence for the flood because the flood is the only explanation for that ice. Uh, the, the climate models they have, which are in, unstable and so on, they just don't explain ice age, an ice age. So in other words, the sea levels had to be that high in order to have uh, the ice caps. Uh, Cindy, you were going to add something? Yeah, yeah. Um, frozen embryos, because you said there's two differences, liquid nitrogen and dying naturally, you know, not viable. Um, why, why don't they get freezer burn when they're done in liquid, liquid nitrogen? Is there a use-by date on them? Um, well, it, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're sort of getting out, out, you're getting out of my field here. I don't know much about that. Um, but, uh, but certainly the, the speed at which they're frozen is very important for their viability. Uh, I don't know how long they last. I think it's quite a while, but I don't know how long. 
Cindy, thank you so much for your call. And we'll put a line under the calls. Time is running out. The time goes by so quickly. I wish we could take a whole lot more calls, Don. Let's come back to this idea that Christians can be confident in God in light of all of the alarmism that goes on around climate change, all of the idea of, uh, you know, if we dig up our coal and we send it overseas, we're contributing to global warming, the idea that there could be extinction of so many animals that look cute and cuddly and that kids will love, the fear that comes from so much of the alarmism, what as Christians can we take out of uh, confidence in God, a biblical view of his creation that helps us not to be fearful in these circumstances. Indeed. I mean, God is in control. And uh, and the, the first and most important thing is our relationship with him. And if, if we know God and we know his salvation, we know the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have confidence that he will preserve us for eternity. And uh, so that overrides everything. But I'm also concerned that uh, kids are being uh, going to bed at night and having nightmares because of their fear being instilled into them through the schools and through the media. And kids should be allowed to be kids, you know. Let adults worry their heads off about these things, but don't use children in this political game to uh, to try and bring about this stuff. I and mean, it just it just dis- distorts me when I see children fearful about tomorrow because of things they've been told. Well, as parents, we have a very big responsibility there. Our children's well-being mentally uh, depends on how we think about uh, whether we understand God as creator or whether we ignore that and say there is no creator. And uh, that will affect our children. It'll affect their own fearfulness for the future because uh, our children need to be able to see that we're confident in the future because our faith is in Christ. There's a lot of talk about bringing up resilient children, you know, getting resilience into children. Well, the biggest thing you can do for children to get resilience is for them to have confidence in God. And that, for some, sounds very confronting because a lot of listeners maybe haven't been raised in a family that did give children that confidence in God. And so it's all, you know, you're grappling, you're scrambling to find, where can I find this confidence in God today? What about all of these other things that are impacting on what I think about science and creation? Well, let me just point listeners to this article that Don Batten has written. And I've got to say, you'll need to set a bit of time aside to read it because uh, 14,000 words is a mini book that you've written on this. It's a significant article, Don Batten, and my uh, honour to you because uh, having read through, and I haven't read word for word, but it's easy to read, your clarity of thinking is wonderful, Listeners are going to enjoy reading this particular article. And as I say, you'll need a little bit of time to take in the thoughts that are expressed in this article. But for those who are scientifically minded, you are going to love hearing a perspective on climate change. And Don Batten, who has researched the collective insights from scientists, philosophers, there's political thought in there too, in light of a biblical view. Now, this is how you find it. We'll often say that web address, which is so simple, creation.com, you can simply search on the creation.com website, simply type in climate change, and you'll find the article we're referring to today, written by Don Batten. Uh, Don Wonderful getting your insights once again. Thank you so much for joining us on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Bless your heaps. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 